so we share this among our elders. If you're visiting with us tonight, we're so glad you're here. If you're here with some family over the weekend, that's great. And so uh, once a month at our church, we have communion, and this is our communion really for March and April. And uh, we share this among our elders, and uh, it's my turn this month. And so uh, it's always a, a joy to to just spend some time in thought and prayer as to what to share with you to help you remember, to help you come to the table in a worthy manner, to help you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we get to do together tonight. So I want to begin by thinking about miracles, of all things. Other than the resurrection, what is one of your favorite miracles of Jesus? Favorite miracle of Jesus. Let's hear it. Other than the resurrection, a favorite miracle of Jesus. Feeding the 5,000. Did I hear Lazarus? Maybe raise your hand. I'll call on you. I'll, I'll point to you. Heath, have you got one? Did you have one? Walking on water. That was, that was, a, that was a pretty good one, Paul. I'm, I'm with you. Yes, ma'am. Water and wine. Yes, the first miracle, first sign. Yes, star. Calming the seas. Very good. All right. How about one more? Right over here. Yes, sir. Bruce. Cleansing the lepers. He touched, touched them, right? Didn't have to touch them, but he touched them. And uh, what, a, what a compassionate Savior we have. Well, obviously, you guys know many miracles. There's many to choose from. In fact, in the open Bible at the back, they have lists of all the things in the, in the Bible. And they list 37 different miracles that Jesus performed uh, while on earth. Going through all of the Gospels, 37 unique Miracles. So certainly there are many to choose from, and we probably know that that's scratching the surface, right? The 37 that are recorded. We know that John's gospel, someone mentioned water to wine, John's gospel is actually built around seven signs, seven attesting miracles that Jesus performed. The first was water to wine, and then it goes all the way to Lazarus come forth. But what if I told you tonight that his death was a miracle? Would you believe me? Now, the open Bible does not list it as a miracle. In fact, I would suggest that most all lists that you go to of the miracles of Jesus, you will not find the death of Jesus on that list. But it could be, and it probably should be. We probably need to begin by defining a miracle because it's one of those words that's thrown around too often and too loosely. It's like awesome. (laughs) We probably need to uh, learn a definition of a true miracle. So here it is. A miracle is a supernatural, unusual work of God where he suspends natural laws of creation to work his will and bring himself glory. We'll say that one more time. A miracle is a supernatural, unusual work of God where he suspends natural laws, of course, the laws that he himself created, to work his will and bring himself glory. For example, in the Old Testament, creation out of nothing. I think that would qualify as a miracle. The 10 plagues in Egypt, the Red Sea crossing of the nation of Israel, some 3 million strong, 40 years of manna feeding this massive people group, 40 years of provision. How about the quail that just hovered They didn't fly off, they didn't drop dead and die and rot, they just hovered and so they could just walk out and just take what they needed. How about water gushing from a rock in a desert? 
If we go to the New Testament, of course, the resurrection, the ascension, the gifts of languages on the day of Pentecost, all of these qualify as supernatural, unusual works of God. Is a buzzer beater a miracle? Was the miracle on ice a miracle? No, probably not. I mean, it it felt good. It was an awesome experience for America, but I don't know that it qualifies as a miracle. How about the birth of our children? Oftentimes, people will refer to a conception or a birth as a miracle. A near miss while driving, a Texas Tech in the Elite Eight. I mean, we're probably getting closer. (laughs) Me preaching a 30-minute sermon. (laughs) Come on now. So could that... I mean, that, that, that may be a miracle. Time will tell. <laughs> the death of Jesus, however, was definitely a miracle. The death of Jesus was a supernatural, unusual work of God where he suspended natural laws of his universe to work his will and bring himself glory. I have two thoughts for you tonight to consider, two meditations to chew on, two ways that this is true, two ways that the death of Jesus was a miracle. And my purpose in these two thoughts is simply this, a more dedicated discipleship to the one who died for us. That's really the purpose of everything we do here, right? A more dedicated discipleship to the one who died in your place. So the first way that uh, the death of Jesus was a miracle is simply this, that he died at all was a miracle. He had no personal sin. He had no transgression against the law of God that deserved death. Therefore, his death was not natural and it was not normal. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Of course, except Jesus. He did not sin. In fact, he was the glory of God on display. Romans 5 teaches that we all sin and die having been born in Adam, connected to Adam, united to Adam. We're born with original sin. We're born with a sin nature because we're in Adam. But Christ was not in Adam. Christ did not have original sin. Christ did not have actual sin. Romans 6.23 says it very plainly. The wages of sin is what? Death. The wage, the payment. What you have earned when you sin is death. And we know from the whole Bible that that's physical, spiritual, and potentially eternal. Well, this was simply a wage that he did not earn. This was a payment that he would not be required in and of himself, in his own life, to receive. It's so easy for us to forget that death is judgment. Whether part of God's general curse for original sin or a punishment for a particular sin. I'm reading through the Bible. I'm in Joshua. No, I finished Joshua. I'm in Judges. (laughs) There's a lot of death. There's a lot of punishment. A lot of people die specifically for sins they committed against God. But our Lord Jesus had no connection to the original sin of Adam. He had no sin nature. He had no personal sin. So, you know, stop the presses. How could he die? 
how could he die? It had to be miraculous. It had to be this reason. God suspended the natural laws of his created order and did something supernatural to accomplish his will and bring himself glory. Now, our anchor text for this is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Some of you know it by heart. We've sung it already tonight in the Power of the Cross song. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God the Father, made him... Christ, who knew no sin, who experienced no sin, was intimate with no sin, was related to no sin, who had committed no sin, who had thought no sin, who had practiced no sin, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. The Father made the sinless one Not to actually sin indeed, but he made him to become sin on our behalf, in our stead, in our place, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here is the great exchange. He becomes our sin, we become his righteousness because God made it to be so. He made him, Christ, who had never, ever, ever sinned and could not sin. He could be truly tempted, but he could not sin. And God made him to become sin on our behalf. What an incredible act of God. Here we see that imputed sin and guilt upon Christ was the unseen miracle at the death of Christ. There were miracles that were taking place as and while he died, right? And they were seen and they were visible. The veil was torn in two. There was darkness for three hours. There was a miracle of a conversion right beside him. Those could be seen. But here was an unseen miracle, an invisible miracle, when God the Father imputed to the account of Christ all of the sin and guilt of all of his people of all time and then treated Christ as if that very man had done every single one of them in his lifetime, as if that was his register of deeds in the book of deeds. We must understand that only God the Father and God the Son could do this. This was a miracle, the miracle of imputation. Only the Father could impute or charge sin and guilt from many sinful individuals to one innocent individual, listen carefully, apart from the knowledge and agreement of the many, but in complete knowledge and agreement of the one. He had to know and he had to agree or his death would not have atoned for us. It was essential that Jesus agreed to this arrangement. It was essential that he was voluntarily laying down his life. I want you to thank God tonight for the invisible miracle at the cross and the death of Jesus of imputed sin and guilt. That God took all of your sins, some of them you haven't even committed yet, all of your guilt, all of my guilt, and laid them upon the blessed, innocent, pure head and shoulders of our Savior. Thank God tonight for that. Worship God tonight. May that reality, that miracle drive you to a deeper, 
devoted discipleship, more obedience, more prayer, more time in the word, more renouncing the things of this world, more love for the lost, more love for your family, more love for God. That's the first way this miracle is displayed. The second way is this, how he died was a miracle. This is multifaceted. This is a glorious diamond. He decided when he would die, down to the very day and down to the very moment, all in perfect fulfillment of prophecies. He controlled how he would die, crucifixion versus stoning, the Jewish prescribed method, versus being thrown off a cliff up there in Nazareth. Remember that story? Versus... Oh, being beheaded like John the Baptist was. No, he controlled down to the very method of his execution. An execution that had to include the shedding of blood and had to include the fulfillment of multiple prophecies, including they pierced my hands and my feet. Without crucifixion, without piercing, he cannot qualify to be our redeemer. The word of God must be fulfilled. Not only did he decide the when and the how, he also determined the where. He had to die outside the city, outside the city walls, outside the city gates of Jerusalem. The place of the skull, a place that was actually a busy intersection of the world that was indicated by the three languages the placard was written in, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And then finally, he orchestrated by whom... He would be executed from the betrayal of Judas, prophecy, to rejection by Israel's leadership, prophecy, to crucifixion by an occupying Gentile power, prophecy. (laughs) Wrap all of that up and the entire world is indicted. Who killed Jesus? We all did. (laughs) The whole world is indicted. Can't pull out any one people group and blame them solely for the death of Jesus. He orchestrated the where and the when and the how and the by whom. Now, all of this is summed up in one of his own prophecies before he died. If you'll go with me to John 10. John 10, Jesus is prophesying. This is one of my favorite verses related to the cross and related to our Savior After the, it's in the context of the Good Shepherd passage, right? He says in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me. As if he needed another reason. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Here it is. Here it is, verse 18. No one has taken it away from me. He's looking ahead. He's already thinking about the cross and he says, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative, on my own will, my own doing. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. I think that sums up the second way that he died, how that he died was miraculous. It was miraculous. Now, this is confirmed for us in the last words that he uttered from the cross. There were seven sayings of Jesus. 
But the very last words before he breathed his last are recorded for us in Luke 23, 46. And they're so fitting because it's now on the other side of the forsakenness. He goes back to referring to God as his father. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Listen, no one else dies like this. No one. You might pretend to try to die like this, but no one dies like this. We are not in control of when we die. You realize even suicides fail all the time. Hospice doctors are often wrong. Every day people are alive who shouldn't be, and every day people die unexpectedly. Simple surgeries go south, and in the tribulation, people will beg to die and can't. I want you to consider the magnitude of this statement. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We have a brain stem, lower brain function. It controls our heartbeat and our breathing, among other things. And this, this controls involuntary actions of your body, right? It's kind of like seeing and hearing and smelling. I can't not see you right now. Oh, I could close my eyes, but I can still see. It's just dark now. I see darkness. <laughs> I can't not hear. I can't not breathe. I couldn't just right now decide, I think I'm going to die right now. I think I will commit my spirit to God right now. I'm, okay, let's all try. Let's give it a good effort. <laughs> okay, well, let's do it. You can't do it. No one can do it except Jesus. He's in control. It's as if Jesus overrides his body's involuntary actions by committing his human spirit into God's hands. You can't do this. I can't do this. He turned in his spirit. He yielded his life so that his heart stopped beating and he stopped breathing. You know, this event usually took days. It took for him mere hours the thieves, the robbers on his right and left, they had to have their legs broken so that they couldn't no longer push up and breathe. They came to Jesus, he was already dead because he decided when. <laughs> Hallelujah. Not Pilate. Pilate didn't decide when he would die. Not the soldier who broke the legs of the other two guys. He's not going to decide when Jesus dies. Satan didn't decide when Jesus dies. Jesus decided when Jesus dies. It was a willing, voluntary death that is essential to our salvation. He yielded his life. He yielded his life. He was the victor then and not a victim, and he did it for you and me. He was a conqueror and not the conquered, and he did it for you and me. And he was the Messiah and not a martyr, and he did it for you and me. He yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. These are the two ways then that Jesus' death was miraculous and unique. And I ask you tonight, as you prepare for the Lord's table, prepare to examine your heart. Will you be a more devoted disciple since God imputed your sin and guilt to Christ and since Jesus laid down his life and yielded up his spirit for you? Beloved, we say thank you
by devoted discipleship, by growth in Christ, by pursuing the Lord, through prayer and the word, through the means of grace that God has given us. That's how we say thank you. Otherwise, these are just sweet emotional feelings in a moment of time. The cross and the table call us to holiness. They call us to devotion. They call us to love him with all that we are, body, soul, mind, and strength. So as the men come forward now to service, will you bow your heads in a moment of prayer and preparation, a time to prepare yourself to receive these elements with thanksgiving and to do so in a worthy manner. Well, Lord God, we thank you tonight that we can remember Jesus. Thank you for our faculties that we can come to this table and celebrate what he has done for us in this miraculous death. Lord, this is a time for us to examine ourselves, not each other, to come in a manner that is worthy of the body and blood of Christ, to confess any unconfessed sins, to renew our faith and devotion to you. Lord, we know that we can never be as devoted to you in this life as you were and are to us. And even for that, we're thankful. We're thankful that our devotion as Christians is not how we're saved. It's not why we're saved. We're saved because you devoted everything. What a cost. So Lord, as we uh, enjoy this table together, as we take of the bread and then drink of the juice, may we do so to your honor and glory. And may we leave here tonight and live in such a way that is always in light of this moment. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.